You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Robert Glazer, a serial entrepreneur, award-winning executive, best-selling author, and keynote speaker. Robert Glazer is the founder and chairman of the board of global partner marketing agency, Acceleration Partners. Under Bob's leadership, Acceleration Partners has become a recognized global leader in the affiliate and partnership marketing industry, establishing best-in-industry processes for client acquisition, retention, culture, and service. Bob has a passion for helping individuals and organizations build their capacity and elevate their performance. Bob shares his ideas and insights via Friday Forward, a popular weekly inspirational newsletter that reaches over 300,000 individuals and business leaders across more than 60 countries. He is a number one Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and international best-selling author of six books, Elevate, Elevate Your Team, Friday Forward, How to Thrive in the Virtual Workplace, Performance Partnerships, and Moving to Outcomes. He also hosts the Elevate Podcast, a top podcast for entrepreneurship in over 20 countries with more than 1 million downloads, putting it in the top 0.5% of all podcasts. Outside of work, Bob can likely be found skiing, cycling, reading, traveling, spending quality time with his family, or overseeing some sort of home renovation project. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Bob discuss the influence of Southwest Airlines' emphasis on culture and how it was a major source of inspiration for Bob and his business, Bob's Mighty Five framework for great company culture, understanding your why in leadership and communicating that to your team, how to screen for core values during the onboarding process, and the importance of tough conversations and effective leadership. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today we have author, speaker, podcast host, and chairman of Acceleration Partners, Bob Glazier. Bob, welcome. Thanks for having me, Ron. And thanks for making the time. I know um, I know you're busy and you, you just told, uh, you, you've not only been busy at work, but busy uh, with your children's sports lately too. So you're flat out. Uh, yeah, uh, fall fall sports is is wrapping up into into Thanksgiving, so it's good. But yeah, I've been knee knee deep in playoff games. It's one of those things where it's over one way or the other. So it's been a lot of <laughs> a lot of a lot of anxiety in our family. Uh, so uh, didn't quite end in how we would have liked it to, but uh, it's nice to get a, get a break from from playoff games because each one it's winner go home. Yeah, I love that. And I'm 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 a few years behind you, so I've that in the I've got seven five and two. So uh, that'll all be taxing and cheerleading in the upcoming year. So I'm excited for that. So I'll be calling you for guidance on that as well. Perfect. Yeah. So, so Bob, look, thanks for coming. You know, I, I got the pleasure of meeting you at the, um, at Enticott house this year for the entrepreneur master program through, through EO at MIT. And it was really great. I, I was a fan of yours before. And so I had read your books, listened to your podcasts, uh, had learned a lot. I'd, I'd watch you at an EO event. I had to, I missed a live. So I watched the recording, big fan of, of what you do. And I would categorize, you know, two sides of your brain coming together, people and culture marketing. Would that be fair? I feel like those are uh, really, yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty, pretty good summary. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to start with, you know, and I get the marketing side and I'm sure the, it'll cross over a little bit, but go back to people and culture, Bob, bring us the, the you know, bring the listeners back to why you care about that and what was the starting yeah. point of like, okay, I need to start paying attention to this. Bring us back. So the marketing is sort of always what 
what I've done, right? And sort of my natural inclination, I think, been interested in in marketing since I was younger. Our business was a marketing agency. Um, and as I started to grow the business, I think the culture and people became the how. I think, you know, we looked, I looked around, we were growing pretty quickly. And I was like, I just, how do I do this differently than all the businesses I worked for and with and hated? Uh, because high growth, you know, that I saw was always chaos and, and, you know, venture backed and, and, and a lot of things. And so I, I just became pretty passionate about how we built the business. And, you know, I wasn't going to do something for 10 years that made me miserable all day, maybe for a pot of honey, you know, mixed metaphors here at the end, end of the rainbow or whatever, whatever it might be. So I, I wanted to be enjoying the journey. And so I, I got very conscious about what, what are the things that are different than other companies do? If I'm, again, we're going to do this, what, what do I not like about companies and cultures and stuff in general? And what is, I, and I was not a believer in culture very early on. I had sort of an inflection point there and core value stuff. I thought it was all bullshit. Um, what was but, the inflection but, point? Go go to that for a sec. It sounds like there was an interest, something. Yeah. So I was growing the business. I, we worked with a lot of high growth companies. I saw these core values on their walls, go into their office. Otherwise, it just all seemed like crap to me. And I, I was always a huge fan of, of Southwest Airlines. And, you know, the sort of, I would say the mentor I always never met was Herb Kelleher. And I, while I hate flying Southwest, I actually super appreciate how they run their business, the value prop. I read his biography. Uh, was really kind of moved by that uh, a book called Nuts. It's great. And um, have you read it? I, I'm I'm shaking my head no, but meaning yes. It's okay, like, I wasn't sure the way. I, no, maybe, I went through I the whole thing. I yeah. love Nuts. He was my. He was. My, I, I love that you said he was a mentor I never met. I felt the same way. Keep going. I love this. I just like people that do the opposite, and it wasn't hyperbole, and it wasn't like high tech. I mean, they were in the same flying the same seven thirty sevens as the other airlines were, and and I was at a conference and. You know, I knew a lot about Southwest business model. I knew that, you know, they used the 737 only plane, that they flew non-core airports, that they did kind of short hops, that they could turn over their planes faster, that they hired people that were funny uh, and taught them to be flight attendants, whereas it wouldn't work on the other side around. When they asked Keller how uh, the speaker was relaying, he asked Keller sort of how um, he they had made more money than the entire airline industry for 20 years consistently. And he said just one word, culture. And so I was like, huh, like he's not talking about any of the strategic things they did or otherwise. And I kind of went and looked at their core values and I looked at what they did and I talked to some people who were really successful. And I was like, oh, there's a, there, there's a, there is a BS version of this, but there's an actual version of this that seems to be what defines a lot of these kind of long-term high-performing great companies. And, and, and I sort of became focused on how do we build sort of an award-winning kind of best-in-class culture? So it was it was that book that made you say maybe there's something here, right? It was that book, but then it was that guy saying recounting that conversation with him that got me to go back and look at what was different about their core, like United's core values, or like fly right, fly friendly, fly some other thing that you know would not be dragging a guy off a plane and bludgeoning him rather than giving him an eight hundred dollar credit. Um, but Southwest had like wow our customers and uh, something about heart, and they had a how you how they you know live the values and 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 work the value and they just were super differentiated um and they didn't sound like anything anyone else was talking about and by the way they matched all these stories and nuts uh and they matched all the 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 you know employees bringing employees home who were stranded at the airport or 
you know, redirecting this woman, Patty Uli, who was pulled off a plane because her uh, son had been in a car crash and rerouting her and sending her luggage and giving her a care. Like nothing was in the operating manual that told them how to do that. It was right. It was fundamentally the values and the cultures. And again, same thing for United. Like no one said, hey, look, you know, once you get to eight hundred dollars in compensation, then drag the guy off the plane, you know, and and <laughs> make sure people are videoing him. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's when I figured out kind of what real core values look like, how to operationalize a business around that and how to, how to not be something to everyone. I, I use the analogy a lot around having just gone through my second child, the, the college or university process. When, when you do this, like a big city bustling college doesn't pretend to be a small liberal arts school you know, in, in, in the woods, I think the people at one school would say, this is a great school. The people at other school, this is a great school, but they have a very distinct value proposition. I don't, I don't know that there's, you know, we talk about treating people well or not treating them well, but I think there's, there's very different cultures for different people. And your job is to just be that authentically and have what you think match what you do and what you say, and understand that that probably appeals to one to 2% of the people out there. And it's your job to find those people that align with that value proposition if if the large state school you know with sports tried to sell the the kid who wanted the non-sports small rural experience like he's not going to be happy there right to totally so you know this is so funny i i, I want to share if, if you're okay about my southwest story it's similar to yours and so like yeah. so i read the book and i got to the part where you you probably know the story better than me, but but is this the, you the, know the turkey the 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 southwest I mean the why, war paint the, yeah no the, the war the, paint the, oh the right? war this, paint yeah yeah this oh, is when, like, my other favorite story is the the Jim Beam or whatever it was they became the biggest distributor you know Jim Beam in Texas for a few yeah days. yeah that's right yeah yeah I, and I kind of forgot that one but the one that stood out to me so much that I was calling BS on that I was like really so I I, I was in Florida with my wife's family reading the book and I got to the part about you know. Delta or or one of them had dropped their price and Herb Keller wrote a memo to the company. We are at war with Delta Airlines. Yeah. And if we don't, you know, if we don't unite together and fight this, we are going to be in hot water. And as the book said, as you probably remember, from pilots to folks handling the bag, bags came with war paint on. And I was like, no way. There's no way that this happened. I just said that I don't believe it. And so I'm like, how am I going to fact check this? And so I was flying home and I'm going through New York. I'd never flown Southwest either. And there was a young guy behind the counter and I had the book in my hand and I just read through that and I might've had a chapter left. And so I was deep into this book and I hide it behind my my back and I go up to this kid. He's, you know, he's probably late twenties. And I said, hey, excuse me. And he said, yeah. I said, I have a question for you. And the guy says, yeah, sure. I said, do you like the company you work for? And he's confused. He kind of turns out like, what do you mean? I said, you heard me. Do you like the company you work for, Southwest Airlines? He says, sir, I don't know if you're looking for a job, but this is the best goddamn company you work for on the planet. I almost threw the book. I was like, oh, my God, it's true. It's true. I got it. And it just hit me. I was like, this is true. Like this, you know, this is the fact check. This guy loves the company. I was shocked that he said that to me. I just I didn't believe but it. I don't so. think everyone would love it. Right. I mean, no, you probably have to be the think on your feet funny like people who like process like there's a whole bunch of people who probably wouldn't like that culture no no i agree and by the way thank goodness that i just happened to have a horseshoe at my butt and bumped into this kid because if he said yeah. it's horrible i wouldn't be where i am today there's no way i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't have 
doubled down on culture. He said, oh, it's, no, I hate this place, right? Like, thank God we, he loved they it. made so, more money than the entire airline industry combined for 20 years. Right. And again, you're fundamentally flying the same planes with people on them. There's innovations around the model, but no one has figured out how to fly twice as fast from Boston to New York, right? It, it's, right. Yeah, I mean, the competitive advantages. I mean, it's it's a commodity business, really, otherwise, at its core. You know, so my message was, I had so much work to do. Someone had done this, and I need to do it at that point. What 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 message did you get? And where were you in your business? Like, you had already started it and got this message? Or where were you in the in the journey of, of your, your company? Um, I think it was still pretty early on. Um, and I might have even read it before we got to some of those problems. But it just sort of... Uh, again, reinforce for me what um, what it would need to look like in terms of good. Like, I, I, I think I even maybe read that stuff a little bit early until we kind of ran into some of the problems. You need to get big enough before right. the rubber hits the road on, on, on a few of these things, right? When you have five or six or seven people, you don't, everyone, it's easy to get everyone, you know, reading off the same page. And so, so, yeah, so keep going. Like, just this, I want to get through the story, and then I have some questions I want to dig into. So, so you're building this thing. You read Southwest, and then you you make the decision. This needs to be a little more by design versus default, which is where you've been playing ball, something like that. Yeah, and 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 we came out with sort of our our, our core values one on one. It was actually a few years later that we cut them down from six to three. It was actually at EMP, my first or second year, when someone made an emphatic plea with a great culture on. You know, it, even a lot of the companies that claim to have these great core values and otherwise, like Ritz Carlton or otherwise, they would they would always talk about, well, look, everyone, the associates walk around and they pull out their index card and they're all on them. And I'm like, if you need an index card, you know, to remember them, I don't know how you're behaving on them. So we actually got down to three. I think we fixed some bugs in our core values. So as we got bigger, we realized some of the things, you know, why did this person work out or, or not work out? And we kind of just leaned in around around those and double those. And I, I I have a rubric for what I think makes a great culture. Um, and uh, I talk about it's kind of the mighty five. I think it's three things and 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 two modifiers. Um, so uh, the the three things and they go from left to right are are um, vision, values, and goals and targets. So the great organizations that I've seen, they have a clear vision. Here's where we want to go, whether we want to cure cancer or you know, put everyone in an apartment by 2030 or whatever, otherwise, then they have values comes to the right of that. And then they have goals and targets. Well, the goals and targets are what make that vision real. It's great to have this alive. vision, but you have to say, we're going to do X by Y or that date. And you go from your vision to your goals and targets through your values. I think the difference between organizations that go through the values, or it's easy to get to the targets if you want to work around your values, not through it. And so you picture those three things. And then there's two modifiers, one on top and one on the bottom, and that's clarity and consistency. And I think what all great cultures have is they have clear values, clear vision, clear goals and targets, and they have consistent vision, consistent value, and consistent goals and targets. There's not both, but you know, there's two things. There's one about being clear, and then there's two about it moving around all the time and shifting. And I think, you know, my guess is you found traction or Rockefeller habits or one of these things, because all these great organizations realize that, yes, we should be able to give, deliver this 90 day clarity to our employees around, here's what we're going to do when we come back and we review if you did it and otherwise. So we had these crazy vivid visions we wrote 
a la sort of Cam Harold and Brian Scudamore. But we also sat down with our coaches and reverse engineered what we would have to do for three years to 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 get to that. And so it that's the simple formula for me. Not that the, it's easy at all, mm-hmm. but I think that that's if I looked at all these great organizations, whether they're nonprofit or sports or otherwise, I think they all have those same uh, principles and and the goals and target. It's amazing to me today. You know, I talked to someone, uh, my working in a dysfunctional organization. I was like, does anyone know what the targets are for the, not the financial target. They know like the three things that have to get done that year. Like, is it clear to everyone? They're like, no, like no one, the goals aren't clear. The tar- it's, it's like going to a sports game and not knowing what the hell the score is or when the game's over or other, or how to so, win or how to yeah. win. Yeah, exactly. So, so look, I was going to ask you, knowing what you know today, what would you have done differently? What, what is a change you would have made when building that business? Is it just adding those five things or maybe getting in the weeds a little bit? What would you do differently knowing like, ah, this created such a heartburn. If I hadn't known that before, I would have shifted. Yeah, I would have gotten down to three probably earlier. I also think that I always would have made the tougher people decisions earlier. I think that when someone meets the core values, but they're not the right role, you can fix that as long as you have you know a role for them. Um, but when they're not a fit for the values or you just know it's not going to work out. We, we, we stretch ourselves into intellectual pretzels trying to not have a hard conversation that only becomes a worse conversation later on when we don't do what we need to do. So I think I was always good at the vision part of seeing around the corner. Sometimes I saw around the corner, frankly, too early, like before people are seeing the lights of the ongoing traffic and they're like, what are you talking about? This is not a problem. And I was like, I see this becoming a problem. And I, I regretted not speaking up a little earlier around those issues or those people or otherwise. Well, it's funny. I, uh, my challenge was maybe um, with what you're talking about, I didn't get it in front of that. What I mean by that is once I had figured out my values, I didn't screen for them. I still would mash them. I'd, I'd mansplain them down someone's throat during onboarding and then find out, well, this is, this is an, well, the problem is they'll agree life. with them, right? Obstensively, when you tell someone your values, They'll be like, oh, I like own it, embrace relationships and excel and improve. Like, that sounds great. But like the question for me to figure out is, are you really own it? And by the way, we would figure it out the hard way when we had what we call these after action reports, when something goes wrong that we would ask people to figure out. And, you know, the people who made a mistake would find a way to blame all external factors, you know, for that mistake. And the people who company went bankrupt overnight with list the hundred ways where they should have been able to figure that out or early morning processes, but like, it just became really clear. So I, I think you have to be careful between someone who says, Oh, I love those values. And they sort of tell you what you want to hear versus, you know, we would ask by the end, we had behavioral based questions to, to screen against those, those core values. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, I mean, look, I agree if they say, yeah, yeah. But, but what I had learned later on is and it's interesting. I went through this process too of let's say, um, let's say you're screening for one of your values is innovation, and so yeah. I didn't go through the process of okay, what is the attribute behind innovation? It's curiosity. I didn't even get that far. There was I would not. And then the question well, is for your interviewers, you, what is a good? We you know we got pushed by. I was bragging to one of our consultants that we had these great questions, and he's like, "Well, do people know what a nine answer sounds like or versus a one? Have you made it really clear to them?" And so then we started listing it out, like. If I ask you, Ron, you know, tell me a course you've taken or something you've done to get better or otherwise, like, here's what a one answer sounds like. And here's what a 10 answer sounds like. Mm. Well, you know, the, the other thing I learned too, was to be careful about these questions 
in regards to where they're working today or the work experience, because I'll just stick on innovation for a second, curiosity, like how innovative were you, Bob, in your last company? And then based on your answer, I make some assumptions, which could be wrong. I'm telling myself a story. And what I mean by that is you might not have had, they might not have had a company culture that would allow you to be innovative. And maybe your leader was like, look, stay in this box. Don't ask me any questions. And so we started, this happened during the pandemic. I started to go to someone's personal life. What were you curious about in your own personal life? What changes did you make? What else were you curious about? What did you do with that? And so we really shift directions on that. I made big mistakes earlier with first, not even breaking down the attribute, not asking the right questions. And AI figures all this out for you now, yeah, like all day long. Uh, and then not 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 um, allowing, not poking at someone's natural, authentic self, and and kind of always sticking towards their work experience. Did you have that, or what are your thoughts or comments? Yeah, I, th I think both. I would say I agree. And like we, when I asked that question, we would ask it generally. Again, something you got it didn't have to be work, but also I do think picking. And this is where I think Jeff Smart and 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 you know not the top grading, but sort of the you need someone who's willing to really pick through those work experiences. Since a lot of people could have, you know, worked on a great ship, uh, or, or in some cases they could have been the best person on a sinking ship. Um, you got to really sort out the 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 truth. And and I think obviously their job is to tell you the best version of went on at that company. And and you need people that are willing to dig in and do that interview work. Like I'm, that's not me. But I need someone to be able to do that. You need to, to recognize that. Hey, well, tell me about that job. And what was your quota? And what were you asked to do? And what did you do? And how are the other people on the team? And like these are the things right. where, again, I, I, everyone's good at telling you the best version of the truth. What, what, what you need to dig in and figure out uh, actually, you know, through behavioral-based past experiences, where, where, you know, whether they did the things that you need them to do. I, I completely agree. What... Um... What about your leadership stuff? You think about the way you led the company and called Bob 1.0 to Bob 2.0. How do you lead different to, to drive culture? What's different with you as a leader? Yeah, I got big on helping our leaders figure out their personal core values. I think they were the company, but then there were also like, what's your why? What are your values? This is inherently driving you, like whether you realize it's not. And and you're you we might have best practices and standards for leaders. But Ron is going to be a different leader than Bob. And frankly, there's a lot of childhood baggage that <laughs> you've done this work that shows up in that about why Ron does, you know, Ron, trust is everything for Ron because someone in his life ran out on him when he was a kid. And if he, if he doesn't understand that, then the people on his team, and I've done in with people that, you know, they're late for a meeting, they miss something, and they're in like Ron's penalty box, and they're never getting out because he doesn't know how to communicate to them that trust is really important because he doesn't totally realize that. So we started doing a lot of that work and and people being able to explain themselves to people in their teams. And I said to the last person I hired, look, this is why you will love working for me. And this is why you'll hate working for me. And frankly, there are two sides of the same coin. Um, so, you know, just getting really honest with people around what we wanted, what our expectations were, you know, what my expectations are as a leader, my style, and making sure that, you know, people were were signed up for that. Because it might be they were great for our team, but not for me or for for someone else. So I, I just became a lot, it just kind of this often level of authenticity where I am who I am. Like when by the time we're 40 or something like that, like we're not going to change. I mean, I'm always changing and improving, but our the core things that are important to us or that we react to or like that stuff is pretty well baked in at that point. Um, and, and, and so I think we can use, choose to use that as an asset or, or it becomes a liability if we don't know how to 
be aware of it. If everyone else knows it and we don't, then then it's a liability. So, so I'm curious on this, um, on your conversations to dig with the leadership team on their why. And I love I love that strategy. I I know we went through an exercise together last year. There was one of the speakers who was kind of find your why. He was connected yeah. to Simon Sinek. What, what, how do you do that? Like, how do you, okay, Ron, let me, you're sitting with me. How are you going to figure out my why? Do you just make an assumption based on some questions? Is there one key question that's helpful? What, how do you do it? Uh, I was trained in Gary's process originally. And so I was pretty good at it. If people wanted to chat, he actually has an assessment now that works really well, but we did it as part of leadership training. We did it as part of like two to three day offsites where we dug into the why, we dug into the core values, we looked at 360 feedback, we looked at what people doing well, where they were struggling, and the through lines, just everything illuminated. Like, it was just right. really clear. Tell me, when I have coached people on our team, the first thing I like, go back, tell me what your why is. Okay, you're struggling with delegation. By the way, you're a make sense person. You're the fifth person I've talked to who's a make sense person who's struggling with delegation. And my experience is that this why is really good at problem solving. And so you like solving problems. And so you're creating a culture of people on your team that come to you to solve problems. And you need to change your psyche from getting excited about being the problem solver in chief to having a team of problem solvers and, and teaching them how to do that. And everyone's solving problems, but they're not all coming to you. So I, the first thing I ask is for people to, to, to read me back those things. And it just, it, Again, you're too close to it. I'm probably too close to it for myself, but you start to point out people, oh, this is, again, you can line what's working well, what's not working well up to their why and their values pretty clearly. Right. Yeah. And it, look, it's a great conversation because I even find, you know, a lot of people have a hard time. Most, I, I'm going to assume, Bob, don't know the answer to that question. Hey, Ron, tell me why. Look, I'm still trying to figure that out. I don't know. And then you start, like, that must be really helpful and it sounds like, yes, there was this thoughtful yeah. offsite, but a really helpful exercise too, it, right? Yeah, and look, most problems are communication problems. And these goes to style and approach and otherwise. So we had someone join our leadership team. She was really having a, a difficult time with the CEO around an issue. And she described me. I said, well, do you know what their why is? And and said, no, and I explained it. And, their why. and basically, this person had a better way why. The, the other person had to make sense why. They wanted the make sense person to just agree at a high level to support this initiative because it was about being better. And they just wanted their support. And the make sense person, like, I'm happy to sign, like, but I don't, what, what, what am I agreeing to? How does it work? Like, what do you actually want me to do? Like, they're just not someone that a, make sense people do not like amorphous things. They like to know very specifically what it was. So the, the, they were both frustrated with each other, but when I sort of pointed this out to them, they were able to kind of work around it. I, said, I think you guys want the same thing, but the, these styles and 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 you know personality tests, I think is the wrong word. I don't think anyone has distinct personality, but you do enough of whatever these things are and you start to discern a lot of patterns. I think where it comes to play is in communication struggles. Like, you know, these two people just always go at it and this is the fundamental reason behind it and their approaches are just very different so i i've done this long enough that that i mean if you were to give me any two whys I, I i tested this one time after i was trained we went away with five couple five couples for the weekend i had them all tell me what their i figured out what their whys were and then i said well here that here's what you fight over i picked the most combustible likely thing between those two whys and i was like this is probably why you fight and they were always like yeah like totally like one was a one was a contribute person, you know, and they just like to give. And the other was a mastery. 
and and so mastery doesn't perfect. like to do anything if they can't like these are the people who have a five handicap and they're surgeons and they they just they don't like to do it unless they can do it really well so she was a contribute she just liked to give and whatever and when she would ask his help on something and he didn't think he could do it well he didn't want to do it and so she sort of accused him of sandbagging because he's clearly talented and has the ability to do something, but he doesn't like to do it if he doesn't think he can do it well. And she just likes to contribute. And, and, and so right. it was just really interesting, those sort of dynamics. Yeah. I, 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 you know, it's funny. I, I probably got a little lost in his exercise right around. Cause I feel like everyone, I, well, how did it work, Bob? He said, everyone's in, in a category three in these three categories anyways. And that kind of lost me a little bit for some reason. Right. Did you do the actual assessment though? Yeah, we did it. I think okay. it was day two or day three. And what and was your I, why? I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, so I know. Seen, I think my why yeah. is to help people, and so I I just know that's mine. So the I contribute. Probably, why? Yeah. Is that what it is? If you if, if I'm on that side, I think I'm. Yeah, and the contribute people, um, you know, are 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 always raising their hand, always volunteering. The downs over committing, never having enough time for them. You know, putting putting their hand out for everyone else. So again, there's always a pro and a. They're always kind of exhausted from doing too much for people. Right. Interesting. Yeah. See, I'm I'm not there today. Like I feel I've found balance. I've had to yeah. between three kids under seven and work. So, but I went through that for sure. And and yeah. it was a cycle. I, I think that that was, you know, moving from Ron 1.0 to 2.0 um, from a leadership standpoint. That was part of that for me, is exactly yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. And so, so interesting. So figuring out what people's why are. And so now that, that I, I just find this personal stuff like to me like i feel like there's like almost like corporate psychologist because i just i found that two people today you know who are having a fundamental leadership thing if you actually spend time with them and do the work it is like two childhood overcompensations like nine eight times out of ten that this person just has this orientation they're, they're they're something that was really important to them that they had or they were missing this other person does and they're stuck in these camps. And if you can understand that and understand the other person, it it starts to become, you know, the bridge. Like, again, those trust people, small circles, I, they're not going to change. But I got to understand that saying something to them when they're asking for my opinion, saying something like, look, I, I totally trust you to make this decision is 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 like their love language, right? So right, you start right. to learn. And, and, and what they, you know, they, they in those situations, they're trying to just kind of earn trust and and so sometimes just reaffirming for that for them is super helpful it makes me think about um like i think about my own kind of 1.0 to 2.0 and I, and i would say i was i was in um doing a, a keynote and a workshop in london ontario last week and one of the workshops was about how to deliver tough conversations and i think bob and i'm curious your thoughts on this one i didn't know how to do that i was very uncomfortable with that in my 1.0 career i'll call it now i enjoy it I really enjoy being like, can I deliver this in a way that's going to energize you? And I think that being authentic, honest, and delivering and and the ability to have tough conversations is a delta between what will make it an okay leader and an incredible leader. And what are your thoughts? 400%. And I would say, I mean, I say this all the time, particularly to new leaders, whatever difficult conversation you are trying to avoid and convincing yourself to get better is just leading to a worse conversation down the road and you know this right because we know this from our personal relationships when you sit on the thing and you're like i'm not gonna uh it'll fine next i'm not gonna whatever and when it actually boils over you go all the way back 
<laughs> you know, and you're you ever fought with your partner? You're like, and then that happened, and then that happened, and I didn't say anything, and then that. So all the times you didn't say anything, it all comes pouring out, and it's so much worse than if you had addressed it uh, in the first place. But I think what's interesting, look, you've done a lot of work on yourself, and let's just say that um, you are a contribute why. Look, it might have been for a while you felt like giving that feedback was hurting people and not making them better, and then you've learned and figured out a way to do that was like, I am really helping this person by telling them the honest thing that everyone else isn't telling them that's holding them back. And, and, and that to me, again, is sort of how you take your right. strength and turn it. Like I said, you know, I'd be working with someone like, look, you need to focus on building a team of problem solvers and not being the problem solver. Right. So we, we, we learn how to take our superpower because we're not and, and yeah. make it, make it something that works for us and not, not against us. So what do you do now, Bob? What like what strategies would you use to have those tough conversations? Sounds like you kind of enjoy them too. What what are you kind of like? Okay, before I, I go really into this enjoy tough one, them, but, oh, you don't. But okay, I, I I think I've gotten better at them. Yeah. So and what are you I've doing? Learned, I've learned yeah. that just not being authentic doesn't feel good and avoiding it. So I've 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 I have less patience for pushing them off. Um, I I don't know that I'm great at them or or or, or like them, but I I think I've moved from the it being bad to at least not a, you know, it, it, it not being a, 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 a weakness. You know, look, and it sounds like you're continuing to work on that. And yeah, I get the, you know, I'm probably being aggressive when I say gives me energy. What would give well, me energy? I, look, I, I always say like, a good this outcome. is the reality, my wise better way. And so my, my willingness to want to have these discussions and give people the feedback is because I want to see them do it better. I hate watching people repeat mistakes. If I've seen a pattern where they're tripping over themselves, I want to help them uh, out out of it right so i i have always been the person you know i said this in elevate if i remember that line like it, it, don't pick up the phone and call me for what you want to hear like there's a lot of your friends that will tell you you know ron no it wasn't a bad choice it was whatever like you know that i i hear these conversations a lot i overhear them like i'm the person who's going to tell you the truth and so you might want that at some point i was watching a a, a, a show last night a sitcom and the two friends had this thing it was fluff or tough and and like what and so you could either give them the fluff answer in which they told them they were right or the tough answer in which they <laughs> know they were like I I'm gonna be the tough one if you want fluff like you know that I'm not the person to call but so that works for when you in some things and it doesn't work for other ways um you know I was telling my my daughter oh, last night she's she says she's repeating the cycle of violence my dad was very what did she text to her friend I, I'm a nasty editor because my dad was nasty with me and his dad was like nasty is not the right word honest like it's like when i'm editing writing i'm like this isn't good this is good here's how i would fix it like i think when you're in editing like you you can't tell someone i mean you just it's just the truth and i think it's a world now where people afraid to use red pens and fluff things up and so my daughter's a very good writer now and but she gives other people that honest feedback too my dad gave me that honest feedback and and I think in writing, it's super helpful. Frankly, when someone edits my stuff, I love the writing because it means that there's things that I could get better on. But I also think telling someone that something sounds great when it doesn't is not going to help them at all. And you know what? Unfortunately, and that's a context for years, you might think this could be better, this could be better. And then one day you learn how to do it and you're like, this is really good. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking when you're saying that, and this this is something I am trying to get better at too. And because I'm always trying to, find simple hacks. I mean, I'm ADHD, I move super fast, you know? And so I'm, yeah. I'm trying to slow down. Yeah. Right. And so, um, one of the things I try to think about 
which I, which is even more challenging at home than at work is, you know, when someone comes to me and says, Hey, I've got the situation. I'm trying now as Ron 2.0 to stop and say, okay, Bob, look, before we get started here, what would be helpful for you? Do you want yeah, me to yeah. just listen? Do you, you want, want fluff or tough? You want you fluff or tough? That. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Right. Do you want, and, and my fluff, I don't actually have fluff in there, but listen <laughs> is empathy. And that's the fluff, I yeah, guess yeah. is just not saying anything. And then I have two other options. One is, is like form. Do you want me to give you experience or do you want me to just give you my feedback and objective and what I think my opinion here? Like, what would you like? And I, and I, and I'm super smart for clarifying. Yeah. What, they're, what they're looking for. Cause I used to get jammed a lot with like, you don't, I just want you to listen. And, and again, that's why I said more at home. Yeah. And, and I find that simple hack has, has, you know, added a lot of value to relationships that I just would have steamrolled over and solved all your problems. Yeah, if someone asks you to listen, just repeat back what they're saying. I mean, Delta did it to me on customer service. I sent in a letter saying this whole thing went wrong and they used NLP and the person just repeated everything back. I understand that all this happened. I was like, oh, you get me. Like, right. (laughs) We know it. Like, it's amazing how well it works, right? People just want to be heard. What, what do you think are the hardest things? What are the toughest choices, Bob, to building this incredible high-performing culture, the Southwest Airlines, what you've done, what I'm trying to create? What, what do you think are the toughest choices in that process for entrepreneurs or leaders? I think it's people, right? I, I, I think it's inevitably when you're growing, when someone stops working or you know it's not working or doing the right thing for the business means not the right thing for a person, uh, particularly when that person has sort of gotten you there. Um, but a lot of times, again, I think that's the opportunity. That's the opportunity for coaching saying, look, you seem, and, and I think this is the people who are great. You, you've seen this, right? The, look, we look at Zuckerberg and Bezos and all this stuff, and you got to understand it's like Michael Jordan and LeBron James. It's like once a generation, right? And 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 so most people are good at a stage. They're good at going from zero to 10, 10 to 50, 50 to 100. And- in some teams, they're past what they like doing and what they're good at. And that's why it's not going well. I think the opportunity is to try to, you know, help that person understand that. And 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 I think most people are struggling kind of know that. They just they just don't want to give up. But like, look, you're the 10 to 50 person. You you came in at 10, we're at 50. Doesn't seem like you want to do the 50 stuff. Like, let me help you find a 10 to go do this. Um, all over again. Um, so I, I have always found that the hardest. I mean, particularly I've built professional services businesses and you know, people who've poured their heart and soul or whatever out, and it's just not working anymore. If it's a machine that's not working, it's easy to get a new machine. But those are just those will never be easy conversations. But I I, I think usually the person deep down knows it's not going well and they're struggling. And I think if you if you can have an honest conversation, then you can help them get back to where they can shine somewhere. I, look, I, I agree. And I think you're right. That is one of the most, you know, challenging things. We're back to tough conversations. Can you let someone go? And, but you know, th- this also is like an art and a science, right? I, I think that, and I was, I, 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 I'm very lucky, you know, I've not had in, as an entrepreneur, I'm 44. So in 23 years of business, I've never had someone write me a lawyer, a letter from their lawyer. I've never had someone sue me or any, had any, and I've let a lot of people go. And what I, you know, I would say that back to being authentic and having that, 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 that real conversation was always helpful. But then I've added, I'll call on 2.0 added, like giving someone the choice. And, And what I mean by that is, you know, that tough conversation for me today, Bob, would be like, okay, Bob, look, I want you to be successful in the company. Here's the deltas between what success looks like and where you are. 
let's talk about it. Do we even agree? And then if we agree, okay, great. Let's talk about how we get you there and what happens if you can't get there. And when does that happen? So in 90 days, if you can't get there, let's agree in advance that we part ways. And I also look for commitment. It's like, okay, Bob, but if if, if we agree to this, I'm happy to support you as your leader to, to help you put in the work with internal resources, time, external resources and yeah, support. 100%. But if you can't get there, I want you to hang up your gloves, Bob. And so most people won't say that, you know? And I've had a lot. Yeah, of we had a very similar. I, I wrote a book, but I never released it. I did my TED talk on this on trying to eliminate two weeks' notice by just having these conversations earlier and just understanding that, you know, what we actually go through this thing, unfortunately, which is is and and I've come to understand again a lot of how psychology impacts us at work. But um, we, if you're struggling, Ron, and you work for me, and I kind of know this isn't going to work out. I start dissociating from you, right? And and moving away from the relationship because I'm like, Ron's a nice guy and I got to do a bad thing to Ron. And so those things, cognitive dissonance, super powerful. Those things are mutually exclusive. So I got to start making Ron a bad guy so that these things line up in my world. Like this is exactly what happens. And so now I start getting pissed at you and frustrated and like, see, Ron's incompetent and Ron's got to go where I could keep those things separate and be like, Ron is a really good guy and he's worked for me for years, but clearly this isn't working. So how do I lean into the relationship, have that conversation as you described, kind of create the right accountability. Say, look, we both know that you haven't hit your goals three quarters in a row and this just can't, we can't keep doing this. Like, are you sure you want to be in sales? And I don't think people aren't going to work at the companies forever anymore. I think this is this false narrative that we've held on to. So we could lean into the relationship and use that and say, look, Ron, I can't let you fail here for another year, but I can help you. I can help you find a new job. I can be a reference. We can look at other things in the company like, and, and create, you know, these things are not mutually exclusive. I couldn't agree more. And I, and I think, I, you know, I want to add to that point that if you create this safety of, hey, Bob, if this doesn't work, I'll help you find a new home, like you said, and I'll work my relationships. That keeps us pretty clean. You know I'm fighting for you. And even if I'm not, if you're not on my payroll, I'll help you. And I think that 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 has been incredibly helpful, um, you know, in to me and to the other side, to, to the folks I've been talking to, just keeping ensuring that I'm still going to put effort in to help them find a next home because I put effort in to bring them to this home, you know? Yeah. And 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 again, it's leaning in, but you still need to you know, create the clear messaging around that. And, and I, again, I, I just, I think that's what happens is we, 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 we like the person we realize it's not going to work out and we got to solve that dissonance. And it's easier to just emotionally cut ourselves off from the person than to actually lean into the relationship and then be just honest about the realities of the the work situation. Yeah. I, I, I would still be guilty of that sometimes when you were saying that I was like, ah, shit, I know I'm doing that a little bit. You know, I, I catch myself doing that. That's a great, well, you have to, again, when you have cognitive dissonance, if you haven't one of my favorite, so books what I've does that read, mean? Cog can you explain that? Yeah. So, so cognitive dissonance is one of the most powerful forces. It affects us every day. There's a book called mistakes were made, but not by me. Um, and, uh, it, it just, it really explains it's one of the best books I've ever read. So, it, it, it is the ability to hold two conflicting opinions in your mind at the same time. When you have these two things, your mind needs to bring congruence to them. So one of the famous examples in the book is that when DNA evidence came out and exonerated people that have been put in jail wrongly, 
um, the prosecutors, uh, you know, basically unretired and doubled down on proving that these people were guilty. So why would they do that? Well, in their head, they're a good person, a good prosecutor, and they don't put innocent people in jail. And so uh, when it comes out that that person was innocent or DNA exonerated them, that creates this congruence. I don't put innocent people in jail, but this person is innocent. So I, I, I need to solve this dissonance right in my brain. It can't handle these things. So there's two options. I rethink that maybe the person is innocent and I made a mistake, which is really hard for the brain to do, or something is off and I'm going to work overtime to prove them they were guilty. So this is, our mind can't, handle yeah, how does it how, without spoiling the book how do you get there how do you go from um, one to the other? <laughs> i mean you've got to relieve the dissonance on one side or another so it's easier it's harder to blame ourselves right so that's the that's the side we don't lean towards so it is to say i mean even though i had all the great intentions in the world I, it's very possible that i made a mistake right or i could have made a mistake. this is our, our our mind tries to save ourselves, protect ourselves by not blaming ourselves. So when it has these things of dissonance, the the piece that it tries to resolve is the thing that we did wrong. Um, and by if you think about algebra, if we're not going to resolve that part of it, then you need to start messing with the entire side of the equation until it gets into like crazy conspiracy theories. So, right. um, you know, this is what worries me about Russia and like like. Putin, like people in a state of dissonance need an end game. Like Putin can't say that he lost. He cannot stop this war and say that he lost. So unless they can give him an off ramp to think that he won something, it's not, it's not going to end. Right. Yeah. Especially if you're on, I'm not going to call spectrum, but you're on the yeah. narcissistic side, like good luck. Right. Like, right. Right. But, but there's a lot of data. Like when we, um, I, I mean, I, I, while I was reading this book, we were trying to decide on what sleepover camp my daughter would go to. And there's, we're in a culture of sleepover camps around here. And there's, there's single sex and there's co-ed and there's the main camp scene, the Massachusetts camp scene. And, and whenever my wife talked to anyone, everyone advocated for the one that they went to. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't what was best for my daughter. It was about, it was very hard for people to say, I loved my co-ed camp, but everything you're telling me about your daughter, she'd be much better at a larger, it's just people can't do that. They, <laughs> they were really hard time saying that was right for me, uh, but but not right for you. So it was funny. I was reading this book and I was just listening to these conversations. Um, but it's hard. But I I think it happens every day, and it's something I'm very cognizant of as a leader. When you see someone that's really trapped, on how do you help them get out of that situation? And what 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 do you find now? You know, with the pandemic behind us, with you, Bob, as an incredible leader. What's what are you working on today? What's the like? This is the 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 next thing in my leadership journey that I'm I'm pressing on. What are you working on? I've been spending a lot of time on on writing and and core values and and what what you know we were 15 years almost remote work um, well before COVID. Uh, I don't think remote work is working for a lot of organizations. You know, particularly. I'm surprised that people miss the thing where like, I don't want to go back in the office. I don't want to do that otherwise, but I'm lonely. I'm depressed. I don't have friends. I don't have meaning and, and not realizing that these are connected somehow. Now our culture and our company and how we worked was totally designed around autonomy and flexibility and getting together and big events that we did and otherwise. So we had it sort of figured out on, on how to do that and it worked for our business. Um, you know, I'm interested in terms of what we're going to get back to and what is the new normal going to look like? And I still see a lot of people struggling with this. And again, 
struggling to just communicate their value proposition and understand that's not for everyone. Like, hey, we're five days a week in the office. And if you don't want it, then go work for the other place. Or we're two days a right. week in the office. Or we're doing that. They're still trying to be everything to anyone. You know, they were, everyone told everyone they could be remote after COVID because they just wanted to not lose people. And I, I, I just, I'm interested in what this next chapter is going to look like. I mean, my latest book, uh, Elevate Your Team, particularly growth. I think growth has become like a bad word because we had this 10 years of kind of, steroid 0% interest oriented growth, and it just exhausted everyone and everyone, you know, a lot of worthless stock. So my latest book, Elevate Your Team, and I'm talking to companies about it, how, how do we get back to growth, but growth that relies on growing the people and the capacity of the people, not just saying you want to grow the organization. My, my analogy that unfortunately, I thought of it after I wrote the book. So I've used it in my <laughs> speeches and presentations was, if if NASA, which is our you know uh, astronaut uh, astronomy organization here, said we're going to put uh, a crew on Mars, and they televised it, and the thing flew to Mars, and it opened, and all the astronauts were dead, no one is going to be like cheering like crazy that the thing got to Mars with right. all the people dead. I, this to me feels like what growth has been over the last five or 10 years where you just say that you want to accomplish this goal and in doing it, you destroy and kill and exhaust all the people. And then you get there, it's kind of hollow, like who's there to even enjoy it. So I think we need to flip this and make companies are growing because the people are growing and they're growing their capacity and they're getting better. And, and, and it's not that you just decided to grow the company and everyone's holding on for dear life along the way. Well, because there's no end. There is actually no landing on Mars unless that's the sale. And then do they go on with a new company or something, right? Like there's no end. So it's extra. It doesn't have this, you know, the, you have your quarterly goal, year goal, right. BHAG, whatever it is. It keeps going. And so and I think why, that's- why? why? Yeah. Like why? Like does the end, look, the end, to me, this notion that the ends always justifies the means, that was the opposite of what I wanted, probably what you wanted, where I said, look, I don't know what I'm going to do with this company. I don't know if I'm going to sell it or other. So I, I'm not going to waste 10 years of my life being miserable for potentially a good outcome at the end. I want it to be fun and enjoyable the whole way through. So would you put like uh, the Patriots, would they be just ride or die and, and win? Are they in that category, do you think? And their I mean, culture you, of winning? If you look at their performance right now, uh, you, you wouldn't believe that. Um, yeah, look, I think they thought that it was the system and not the players. Uh, I, I No, I look, I think that the Patriots aren't because I think you always – I mean, the goal of sports is to, is to win, right? And it's not necessarily right. about growth, yeah. but it is to sure. it is to compete at a high level. Um, yeah, you're so, right. It's not to maintain the players for a ten year span either. It, it's really to win. So you're right. Okay, so give me a and the so players are basically signed up. I mean, some want their con, con, their money in their contracts, but they also wouldn't go if you told them that the goal was yeah. to lose for, <laughs> and and you know, I I mean that is a specific sort of sport that's about winning and losing, but. Um, Let me give you a different example. Yeah. Have, have you follow Ray Dalio at all? Yes. I heard the think new this... book is very yeah, critical. Yeah. I know. So what do you think of that? That that new book, it seems to tell that story. I haven't read it yet. And I'm a, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Ray Dalio and I love principles and I've actually got his big debt crisis in front of me here to learn a lot about that. And I, yeah. I just find a very thoughtful guy. So of course I, I you know, I, I read some of the stuff. I actually didn't love, I, I felt like when I looked at the author online, he was a little narcissistic and I thought, oh, this guy's. Kind of, kind of different and so i probably judged him 
what are your thoughts? Do you think Bridgewater's in that category? Have you done much? much I don't know. I haven't read it yet. I heard about it. Nothing will surprise me uh, anymore. I think between, you know, some of the stuff that people say and how they're doing something and and how they do it. I, I tend to find that the more that people point to themselves as the iconic example, uh, the more in the re- those organizations tend to kind of be a little bit detached from reality. Like Herb Kelleher never would have written that book, right? It had to right, get written right. as a as as a biography. Um, so I'd be a little disappointed if 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 you know. I think some of the stuff that they've done has been amazing, but if it really is just kind of he's overrepresented a lot of the stuff um, that 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 the systems, and it's really just been him and his will at the end of the day. Um, I think that does undermine a lot of the things. It doesn't mean that the ideas and the frameworks and the stuff that he put forward um, aren't valid. Um, But I always struggle with, I was having this discussion with someone yesterday where, you know, someone that we knew turned out to not be totally what they said they were. And, but, but they had a huge impact on the people. And like, does that take away from the impact? Like, you know, I, I don't know. I look, there's a lot of, coaches out there right now business coaches that were terrible doers and terrible leaders some of them are actually really good coaches so i i never know what to think about that i don't personally want to take advice from someone who couldn't do it but sometimes i don't know maybe they're a better coach than a player i i I, that's that's one of these ones that runs in a loop in my mind but for me personally i couldn't have a coach that like destroyed their company and did all this stuff and then decided they were better at telling other people how to do it that just wouldn't work for me you know, it's interesting. I think of coaches and I think of um, when someone asks me a tough question that makes me uncomfortable, then I start to lean and they've got my attention. If they yeah. don't, if it's glossy, if it's that fluff stuff and they're kissing my butt or anything, I'm, I'm done. But make me uncomfortable. Make me question myself and you're That's in. Fine. So funny. I, I, I've, I've gotten rid of coaches and different people for the same reason. We're like, I like being challenged and pushed. Maybe it was how I was parented or brought up. And I talked to my therapist about that, but I, yeah, I, I, I need the folks who are, who are challenging me or some of the, I don't know if you've ever been around Philip McKernan, but I've shared sort of the thing on that where a couple of times in working with him, he's been like, yeah, I think that's a BS story you're telling yourself and and you should go rethink of that. And I got so much value uh, over those situations. No, yeah, I love that. Love the uh, authenticity of some of those discussions. So, so, so Bob, we're coming to the end. Tell me something we, what's hot off the press for you, something big in your book or something you're working on that we haven't talked about today that you're like, ah, there's just this thing that I'm always thinking about. It's I'm working on it. I'm talking about it. What What is it? <laughs> I'm kicking around this concept of 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 writing a a, a book on on parenting, sort of in the next in the elevated tr- tr- trilogy, and not because by any means that that I think I'm like a great parent. My wife's probably a much better parent than I am, but but under this lens of leadership, where I think as a leader, where parenting has been shifting for ten to twenty years, the outcomes are pretty horrible by anything that we can measure. And yet everyone's doubling down um, on these tactics. And a lot of things that if you brought them into the leadership realm or evaluated like parenting from the lens of leadership, you would say, these are absolutely like worse practices. (laughs) And so what's interesting to me is everyone's telling us these things are bad practices. You would be in HR, if people micromanage their team, like they micromanage their kids, they would be on a performance improvement plan. 
yet I think they don't get a 360 feedback. So I just think there's a lot of interesting things around there around if we were able to look at parenting through the lens of leadership and, and what we consider best practice from a leadership standpoint, why aren't we looking at parents as leaders in that in that way? And And if something's not working, again, from the business world, why would you keep doing it? You know, that's really interesting because I think of my the stages of my kids and, you know, look, I did a lot of executive protection from Jay-Z to ACDC, you name it. And to me, you know, were my kids not my Georgia anymore and uh, maybe not my son who's five, but that early stage, I'm like a bodyguard. It was more work than being a bodyguard. It was, <sighs> you just, it was really stressful in, in a lot of cases. Like, what's in your mouth? Oh my goodness, put it down, you know? And so- yeah. So I found that challenging. There are, but, yeah, at a certain point, you need to save your kids' right. life at, at 18 That's months right. old. Yeah. But yeah. I think you're talking about like the older stage-ish and not exactly. being like a helicopter. But you know what? Uh, I was in Asheville, North Carolina. I was speaking at a, a real estate conference, but I was speaking with people in culture. And one of these speakers, you probably know who this guy is. I forget, but this made me think of this when you were talking, um, was he said, as leaders, we should be practicing more. It's a safe place to practice your leadership. It's a safe place to practice having tough conversations, to practice new tools with your children because you're safe. You're not going to get fired. You're yeah. you, you're not, you know, you're safe in your family to try what I'll call proactive practices or tools. And I thought that was really smart. And I've tried to do that at yeah. home. And what it's are not our even core values? Lands. What are our goals? Like I I mean, the, the the very obvious thing, and there was an article I read was College used to be a firewall, right? It used to be you went off to college or university and like that was your, and, and this thing was about these Facebook groups of parents, mostly moms, but just constantly <laughs> like sharing stories and oh, what, have you gotten this noodle so your kid doesn't fall out of the bed and help them find a roommate? And it's like, you're, this is, this is micromanagement, like 101, like your kid's 18 years old. If you don't let them figure out this stuff now, Maybe you want them to live with you till they're forty, but that's basically what you're you're creating. And it was a pretty horrific look into, you know, these Facebook groups of 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 parents at at college trying to solve all their problems. Uh, and again, you, you any of this happened in leadership, and you would be like dragged into the office and be like, set the culture, set the goals, set the expectations, let them do it, let them fail, give them feedback afterwards, move on. <laughs> But if you don't, but empower them. Yeah. Totally. You know, if I do a next book, it might be on communication it, like, and, and, you know, much broader than just in business would be at home with your children, with your family yeah. in the community. So I, I love that. So I think you should do that book. Um, yeah. I, ha I have some interesting ideas I've collected to some stories and I think it's not anything that anyone doesn't know, but I think I could sort of put it together to maybe make some people say, I got to change what I'm doing. Like, and, and maybe, you know, see a little bit in the mirror where they think they're helping and they might be, might be hurting. Well, yeah, not, yeah, not helpful. Well, well, Bob, look, thanks for uh, coming on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. I've made a bunch of notes. And so thanks. And thanks for the work that you do. Your podcast is fantastic. The books are great. And so where, where can people find you that are listening? Where, where do they find your work? Yeah. So, so all my stuff is integrated. I've got a weekly newsletter that goes out to a couple hundred thousand people around the world each week called Friday Forward Podcast. I subscribe, books. by the way. It's a great yeah. newsletter. I yeah. got to go right this week. So, uh, so I'm going to do it when I get off. But it's at um, uh, it's all at Robert Glazer, G-L-A-Z-E-R.com. Great. Bob, good to see you. Thanks, my friend. Thanks for your time. And uh, let's stay in touch. Well, thank you. For more information about Bob or his work, please follow him on LinkedIn or go to robertglazier.com. 
To learn more about our books or our Scaling Culture Masterclass on how to build and sustain a resilient, high-performing team, please go to scalingculture.org. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment and share the podcast with one of your friends or colleagues. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.